Brandon Crawford finished fourth in MVP voting in the National League last year, just had a breakout season in his mid-30s, and he was a huge reason why the Giants were able to win 107 games and win the National League West. But it hasn't been the same story so far for Crawford this season. So this is a mailbag edition of the show. We're going to get answer questions about Crawford and so much more next. You are Locked On Giants, your daily San Francisco Giants podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Giants, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. My name is Ben Kaspic, and on this show, we provide daily episodes Monday through Friday, talking about the San Francisco Giants in a way that's data-driven and rational, but also simple, passionate, and accessible to all. I'm a former contributor for the baseball statistics and analysis websites Beyond the Box Score and Rotographs. I've been podcasting about the Giants since 2015, and I'm a lifelong fan. Thank you for making Locked on Giants your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Sports Card Investor. Download the Sports Card Investor app today and easily browse over 630,000 cards from every sport with hundreds more added each week. Available for free in the Google Play and Apple app stores or go to sportscardinvestor.com slash locked on. And coming up on today's show, it is a mailbag edition of the show. And like I said there, the first question I want to get to is about Brandon Crawford. This is kind of under the radar, an important question and one that we haven't had a chance to talk about much this year. But Crawford going from being fourth in MVP voting to what we've seen this year is a big deal in terms of the production on the field and the wins and losses of the team. So the first couple of questions, Big Moist 15 says, when do we worry about Crawford a bit bad offensively and the same defensively? And then Mike Yastrzemski, enjoyer, asks, Brandon Crawford has struggled to get things going at the plate this year. Do you expect him to get things turned around offensively at some point? What factor or factors do you think are contributing most to his offensive drop off from last year to this year? So this is like, like I said, kind of under the radar, a very important question because if Crawford is able to be what he was last year, you legitimately have one of the best players in baseball on your roster at an important position and just providing a ton of value. Last year, Crawford hit 298 with a 373 on base percentage and 522 slugging, a 139 weighted runs created plus, and he was very good defensively. And it all came out to the point of war. Look, it's not a precise number per se, but the point is that you're combining offense, defense, the position you play and what, how important it is, and then base running. Basically, we're trying to combine everything into one number, and that's that's all we're trying to trying to do with that. But anyway, six point three that is just a very very legitimate number, and one that puts you into the MVP conversation, which he was in. He wasn't going to win it, but he was in the conversation. That's how good he was. This year, however, he's got a ninety two weighted runs created plus two twenty two average three three thirteen on base three fifty four slugging. So his career. Weighted runs created plus is 97, and this year it is 92. And so he's kind of performing up to career numbers as opposed to what kind of looks like a one-year spike. 
as, as opposed to maybe something sustainable. So I happen to think that I have my doubts about whether he's going to be able to get back to anything like what he did last year. It is just not very common for someone who's already 35 years old, who has such a long track record to have a late career spike like this. And granted, I I think it was legitimate what he did last year. I don't think it was just kind of a random overperformance of one year. I think that it he obviously changed his swing, his setup and his swing is completely different starting in 2020 under the new hitting coaches and the results spoke for themselves. But this year, I mean, it's just it's hard to sustain that and regression is coming for us all. <laughs> and for Crawford, I mean, when you're 35, things get more difficult. And I mean, they lost Donnie Ecker, who was possibly, arguably, I don't know. Like, I don't know specifically what Ecker brings to the table versus the other hitting coaches. Ecker was one of their hitting coaches, and he left to become the Texas Rangers offensive coordinator and bench coach. So it was a promotion for Ecker. I was a little bit surprised, like, they didn't do whatever it took to keep him. But they have Justin Veely and Dustin Lind. And they added another assistant hitting coach who was fluent in Spanish to get more, uh, to be able to provide the same level of one-on-one thorough instruction to Spanish-speaking players as they do to non-Spanish-speaking players. So I think that's great. But you you do, maybe Ecker was like instrumental specifically for Crawford and maybe he's just the, I, I doubt that. I really think that they probably are, he's getting the same kind of instruction at the same kind of quality, but still it's a factor and we don't know quite how much it plays into it. But he's just not been the same. The strikeout rate is the same. The walk rate is still solid. He's chasing less, actually, less than he ever has in his career. Well, no, in one, in 2014, he chased a little bit less. But this year, he's not chasing much. But the contact, when I, when I look at the numbers, the number that jumps off the page to me is he's making contact at a rate of only about 68%, whereas his career contact rate is 74.5%, and last year it was 72.5%. So you're missing some contact. You're significantly missing power. 131 isolated power versus last year at 224. Career number is 150. So I, I do think we'll probably see more power as the season goes on, and that's not just homers. It's just extra bases. Essentially, and the average on balls in play, this is actually encouraging, is only 262. So I'm surprised I didn't like go here first, but he's significantly below his career BABIP, which is something you just generally think is going to trend more towards his career norm. Last year it was 334. The career average is 298 for Crawford, and he's only at 262. So I would expect that the average on balls in play and the isolated power are going to trend at least towards his career norm. And with a reduced strikeout rate, actually his strikeout rate is right in line with his career average. So what I kind of see is a guy who may be around league average offensively or a little bit better, but maybe not 40 points above league average like he was able to be last year. As many have noted, he's not doing as well against fastballs as he did last year last year he just killed fastballs he had a 437 weighted on base average which came out to a 341 average and a 639 slugging percentage when he put a fastball in play or it ended in at bat like a strikeout that would count as well or a walk and this year he's just he has just a 314 weighted on base average and the numbers against 
breaking balls and off-speed pitches are somewhat similar. He's doing worse against off-speed pitches, but he's never been great against those. That would be your change-ups as opposed to your breaking balls like curveballs and sliders. So anyway, the numbers are just, I mean, the average on balls in play and the ISO thing, I would consider somewhat encouraging and I would expect improvement, but I don't see a guy who's probably going to be an MVP candidate. I mean, certainly the it's hard to be an MVP candidate when you have a couple of months like he's had. But I mean, I just, I'm not sure that level of production is going to come back. I'm not very confident in that at all. And the defense is a little bit of a concern. It's not just, it wasn't just yesterday, all year long, he's not been quite as good. And we've seen some balls clank off the glove and we've seen the range reduced a little bit. And that's something we were seeing before 2021 and we're seeing it again now. And it's not that surprising when you're dealing with a guy who is 35 years old. And so the last point to make, I mean, so when I talk about the fielding by outs above average, Crawford is at negative four. And this is a stat cast metric. Last year, he was at plus 15. So it's a big difference between what you're getting now and what you got last year with Crawford. He has signed for one more season. They extended him in the middle of last year to a two-year, $32 million deal. I will just point out, because I know there's at least somebody thinking they shouldn't have given him that deal. They should have went out and signed Corey Seager or Trevor Story or Marcus Simeon or Carlos Correa to be the shortstop. Well, I just must point out that many of those guys are struggling this year. And in fact, in some cases, are struggling more than Crawford. And you've committed almost a decade to them or actually a decade to them and hundreds of millions of dollars versus two year 32 million. I think uh, there's always risk with every player. And I don't know, it, it doesn't look right now like a great contract, but it looks a lot better than Marcus Simeon's contract looks like because he's just been flat out bad the last I checked. I think he's been doing a little better lately, but plenty of players who were signed in the offseason have struggled, including some of the best ones. And so Crawford, uh, he has also struggled, but it's just not that uncommon around the game for players to struggle. So we'll see. He surprised us last year with what he was able to do, so maybe he can do it again this year. Anyway, coming up next, we're going to turn the page to another round of questions. We're going to talk about the Giants upcoming roster crunch and if there's a creative way that they can maybe get Wade Jr. back onto the roster and so much more. So stay tuned for that. But first, whether you're a casual card collector or looking for exciting alternative investment opportunities, the free sports card investor app has something for you. This is actually just really awesome because who doesn't like a good baseball card collection, right? For me, growing up, I I still have a bunch of unopened packs, and I've got some some nice relatively, relatively rare like Barry Bonds cards and all that. And it's cool to be able to look up what they're worth, and you can do exactly that on the Sports Card Investor app. Uh, and you can also, you can buy new cards, right? You can look at, okay, what's a Marco Luciano or a Luis Matos? What are these cards going for? And you can buy them right through the app. It can lead you to eBay or wherever, and it can just tell you the value of the different cards and help you build a collection. And right now, there's a lot of volatility going on with the financial markets, stock market, and card collection can really be a nice alternative investment opportunity. So I would really encourage you to check it out. It's a great app, very easy to use. Download the Sports Card Investor app today, available for free in the Google Play and Apple App Stores, 
or go to sportscardinvestor.com slash locked on. All right, as promised, we are going to continue getting to some of your questions, hopefully a lot more. The next question, just to jump right into it, actually, first, I have to tell you that we have an important favor to ask of you. We put together a survey so we can learn more about listeners like you and make your favorite Locked On podcasts even better. This is your opportunity to tell us what you like and don't like about Locked On podcasts. Go to LockedOnPodcasts.com slash survey right now to get started. It won't take very long, and everyone that completes a survey can qualify for a chance to win one of 10 $100 Ticketmaster gift cards. To take our audience survey, go to LockedOnPodcasts.com slash survey. Thank you for your help. So yeah, the next question, just to jump right into it, comes from Steve, who says, with the incipient roster crunch do you think it's on the table to shed an older player contract Ruff, Longoria, Listella, to make room for Wade or is it inevitable that optioning a young promising player is the outcome so this is a relevant question because this is going to come up maybe that's the thing is there's always injuries that crop up unfortunately it seems and maybe a question that seemed like a tough one becomes easy because the, the, the decision gets made for you when someone goes down with an injury. But just to be clear, there's absolutely no way they're just going to shed Darren Ruff's contract as an example. I, I just think we need to stop read, like deciding that players are what they've been for two months versus what they were for two years prior to that for you. It's a somewhat different case than Brandon Crawford because Darren Ruff hasn't played as much because he's not really an everyday player. And the the role that he plays and the the contract that they gave him is reflective of him being a part-time player. And even this year, even though he's struggled, he still achieved better than league average offense by weighted runs created plus thanks to his 14% walk rate, which is the same as it was last year. Kind of across the board, a lot of the numbers are the same for Darren Ruff. So I just, we're not just giving up on Darren Ruff based on 55 games. Okay. So he, yeah, I just don't get that because he's a threat against left handed pitching. If he's starting every day, that's kind of an issue. I think he had that opportunity and it didn't really go well. And with Brandon Belt back, he shouldn't really be playing every day. With Evan Longoria and Tommy LaStella, it's somewhat of a different story because. They're not able to play the field right now. Lastella did finally. I mean, he has occasionally played in the field and he started at first base yesterday. And I think his bat has kind of come around. So this actually makes the question more difficult. But I have said that I am not as sure this time around. And what we're talking about here, just to be clear, is Luis Gonzalez. And does he have to get optioned when Lamont Wade Jr. comes back? So I think just like generally speaking, to answer your question, that... This time around, I would think it's more likely that something like what you're suggesting could happen in terms of, I mean, you say shedding, what was the exact word? Shedding a an older position player contract. So for Longoria, the thing to note about his contract is that this is the last year of it. There is a club option for next year, and it's a little bit... Uh, more complicated than it might seem on the surface because there is a team option for next year, as I just said, and it's for $13 million. But the buyout, if you don't 
select the club option is $5 million. So that effectively makes it a $8 million decision. So it's kind of like one year, $8 million for Longoria. And at the end of the day, I think that that's ultimately not going to be something that they're going to pick up based on what we've seen out of Longoria for the entirety of his Giants career and the fact that he's going to be 37 years old in October. So you're paying him for his age 37 season. I just don't see that happening. And so it is a possibility. And they're kind of platooning him. If you've noticed, they're, they pinch hit for him with Tommy Lastella in the middle game against the Royals. And Lastella came through a couple of times. And so I don't think it's completely out of the question when you talk about could they make a move with one of these other players? And for me, I think you want to protect your inventory because who knows, there's an injury and then you really need the guy. So I don't see them just like DFAing Longoria or Lastella or Ruff. It is possible that a trade could be something they try to do to free up some space because I don't think at this point it makes sense to send down Luis Gonzalez because he's been contributing at the plate and in the field lately. And... He's got youth and speed and athleticism, something they don't have a ton of on their roster. But for me, it's not like a DFA or probably a trade, but more like an injured list stint. I think that you could have made the case for La Stella, given that he wasn't playing in the field. You could currently make the case for Longoria, given that he hasn't been healthy enough to play in the field. Like I think if they had to make this decision today, they would probably choose to IL somebody as opposed to sending down Luis Gonzalez. And so, yeah, I made this point on Twitter, but the only players on the position player side who can be optioned are Luis Gonzalez, Mike Yastrzemski, and Austin Slater. And none of them are an obvious choice at all. And Yastrzemski, he's not going anywhere. Slater's not going anywhere, despite some people saying that he makes the most sense. No, he doesn't, because when you face a lefty, he is a absolutely essential part of that. And when he's when you're facing a righty, he's an essential part of that bench against to come off the bench when there's a lefty reliever. So Slater's, and he's a great defensive center fielder. But Luis Gonzalez has kind of made himself indispensable as well. So I would think a, a an IL stint is where I'm leaning right now in terms of how do they solve this when Wade is able to come back. But something usually comes up that makes the decision easier. So the next question comes from Jacob, who says, what current Giants on the last year of their deal slash have a player or team option will be here next year? So we're going to save this question for just a minute. It's a good one. We'll talk about which Giants are coming back. We just talked about Longoria, but let's talk about the other cases as well. And then we're going to talk about the Giants offense as a whole. So stay tuned for that. But first, as the sun comes out and small businesses are back in business, LinkedIn Jobs makes it easier to grow your team. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the people you want to interview faster and for free. Uh, They have simple tools like screening questions to make it easy to focus on the candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnMLB. That's linkedin.com slash LockedOnMLB to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. 
You know how our friends at Built are always coming out with amazing new flavors? Well, this time Built has truly outdone themselves with their new mud pie flavor. And for the first time ever, Built is introducing the new mud pie flavor in both the mud pie bar and mud, mud pie puff. Wow, my mouth is watering just as I think about it. Not sure what mud pie tastes like? Well, if you're a chocolate fan, you'd better sit down for this. The new mud pie bar is rich with whipped cream and chocolate mousse smothered in 100% real chocolate and topped with cookies and cream crumble. Not convinced? Luckily, we've saved the best for last. It's actually good for you. No, really. All Built Bars are low-calorie, high-protein, and low-sugar. It's just incredible. We're talking about these absurdly delicious flavors, whether it's mud pie or birthday cake or whatever it is. And we're we're looking at a healthy profile here. Lots of protein, low calories, low sugar. It doesn't get any better than this. So go to Built.com. Use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, as promised, let's just get into this next question. We're going to talk about the Giants' offense as well. Jacob asking, what current Giants on the last year of their deal or have a player a, a player or team option will be here next year? Well, the Giants, they don't have any player options. They clearly don't like to give those out. Those are uh, very – actually, they do. What am I talking about? Carlos Rodon, right? It's not – yeah, it is it is kind of a player option. They call it an opt-out, but – it's funny. I've I've wondered this to myself, but we 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 call some deals opt-outs and some deals having player options, it's options and it's kind of the same thing. It's just how you frame it. Are they leaving or are they staying? So, Carlos Rodon, I mean, he's the big one. This is something to watch very closely. If he reaches 110 innings, he will have the right to opt out or opt in of next year's contract, which is for $22.5 million, and it would be the last year of the deal. He's already reached 65 innings, so he's well on his way to reaching that 110-inning threshold. And if he reaches it, it's funny, because it's been an up-and-down year for Carlos. He was been, He's been dominant at times, and he's struggled at times, but all in all, he's got a 3.18 ERA, 2.59 fielding independent pitching, strikeout rate is very good. Just across the board, this is the profile of a pitcher who is worth more than a one-year deal for $22.5 million. He's a guy, I mean, I look at the Robbie Ray contract, which he ended up getting a similar deal to Kevin Gosman, about five years, about $110 million. I think Ray got $115 million. But there's no reason that Carlos Rodon couldn't go out there and say, I deserve that same type of contract. Maybe durability. I mean, that's a big one. But if he has... Last year, he threw 132 innings. If he can get to 130-plus innings this year, he's got a case for a multi-year deal at a high average annual value and as being one of the best starting pitchers on the market. And so if he's healthy, I think that Carlos Rodon opts out and becomes a free agent, not to say he won't return. I think actually he kind of is uniquely situated that he might actually make sense for the Giants because I don't think he's going to get five years necessarily because of the durability concerns and so far we've seen some inconsistency from him this year so it could make him a guy who gets a three or four year deal at a high average annual value as opposed to you know five years 100 plus million dollars so but he's a very significant case to watch and then uh, the next guy is Evan Longoria 
I think that he will not be back because, like I said, it's an $8 million decision, a $13 million club option with a $5 million buyout, effectively making it a one-year $8 million decision. And I think that's a little rich for what his role has been, how the injuries have been a problem, and given his age. And beyond that, there's Jake McGee and a club option for $4.5 million. It's always necessary to look at the buyouts in addition to what the club option is for. And for McGee, it's only a $500,000 buyout, which effectively makes it a $4 million decision. And for McGee, he started out the year rough, but then he went on the injured list and worked on his mechanics, and he's been very good ever since. And so I'm kind of leaning towards they will end up bringing McGee back. He will be 36, and... You know, all in all, he does have a five seven one ERA, but but reliever ERAs are kind of fickle and and not necessarily reflective of the talent. So it all depends on the how the rest of the season goes for McGee. But if he keeps looking like he's looked since coming off the injured list, I think they pick that up. It's a low risk proposition, four million dollars. You don't often get much for one year, four million dollars, but we shall see. I think I would lean towards that being picked up if he pitches this way. But if he struggles, it's easy. Make Take the $500,000 buyout, buyout and say, thanks for your service and good luck to you. So uh, we'll see there. And then arbitration cases, right? These are essentially club options. The way to think about arbitration and even pre-arbitration is you have a club option every single year, but there's no buyout. You can just non-tender people And so you can say goodbye without having to owe them anything, or you can say, hey, we want to keep you, and then you get to if you want to. So Jacob Junis, I think there's that's a no-brainer at this point, that he would be back next year. These arbitration salaries aren't predetermined. It's not like the club option for whatever million. It's that that's to be determined. But Junis is only making 1.75 million this year, and you get kind of a predictable raise every every year through arbitration. So it'd probably be just around maybe $4 million for Jacob Junis next year. And that's a no-brainer. And that would be his last year of arbitration eligibility. Harleen Garcia, ARB eligible for one more year, as is John Brebbia. I think both of those guys at these low salaries, around $1, $2 million, are no-brainers. Austin Slater, ARB eligible for two more years, no-brainer. Mike Yastrzemski, ARB eligible for three more years, no-brainer. Rogers, no-brainer no at the type of salary, which is low, basically league minimum. Logan Webb, Wade Jr., Steven Duggar. Steven Duggar is a whole different case, but they can bring him back and trade him if they have to, but it would be a cheap kind of situation. So those are all the guys who, I mean, there's new players like Luis Gonzalez and all them guys who are not, who just showed up at the major leagues. They're obviously the giants can bring them back if they want to. And they would no doubt with Luis Gonzalez, they will. So anyway, that answers that question. And the next question, I just quickly want to address it is from Michael who says, do we think if the Giants continue to struggle offensively, Farhan will have some uh, the same approach this offseason. Obviously, Judge is the golden ticket, but this year he banked on the same group of overperformers from last year to have career years again. And then David says, how can the Giants improve the struggling offense? I just kind of want to address this. I wish I had more time, but not to be, I'm not trying to be like condescending or anything, but we're talking about the struggling offense and they are the fourth best 
in runs per game in Major League Baseball. And the only teams ahead of them are the three best teams in baseball, the Dodgers, the Mets, and the Yankees. Those are the only three teams that are scoring more runs per game than the Giants. Now, I get it. They haven't been the most consistent, but the offense has not been the problem for the Giants. It's been defense mostly and pitching, which is tied in with defense. And I believe the pitching will be much better. The defense should be better. It's a lot of the same guys like Crawford, as an example, has not helped them defensively. And last year, he was one of the better defenders in the game. And so part of that is age. But I I mean, the point about offense, I don't I don't buy that. Just banking on the same group of overperformers to overperform again. Not necessarily because I've said this guys like Mike Yastrzemski, he did not overperform in 2021 he underperformed and he's now doing better and so it wasn't just everybody did well there were guys who didn't do well and they were banking on those guys doing better and some guys did well and maybe we're going to be worse but some guys did poorly and we're going to do better they didn't get much out of la stella longoria missed half of the season there are other examples i can't remember off the top of my head but those are a few of the prominent ones and they bring in Jack Peterson, and he's been great offensively. So, yeah, I mean, I get it. I was disappointed overall in the offseason in terms of what they did to the offense. But I also said I think they'll be able to mix and match their way to underrated performance. And that's what they've done. If you look at the total runs, go look at the Yankees' total run score and com- scored and compare it to the Giants. And the Yankees have this ridiculous record. But the difference is run prevention. The Giants have not been great at run prevention. They've been more average in run prevention, but their offense is among the leaders in a lot of different categories. Hasn't been quite as powerful and home run home runs flying out everywhere as last year, but they've managed to score runs. And look, consistency would be nice if they were more consistent. They haven't been the most consistent. They've struggled at times against inferior teams like the Royals in one game. Okay, they did win the series. But the Rockies coming in and and had their way with the Giants at times. But overall, you'll take the offensive output that they've been able to put out there. So anyway, that is all the time we have for today. Thanks again for making Locked on Giants your first listen today. The first picks of the Ultimate NBA Mock Draft have been made. Search now for the Ultimate NBA Mock Draft and get over 50 insiders, the Odyssey sports experts, the draft experts of Locked on NBA, Big Board, The five-episode Ultimate NBA Mock Draft is underway. Make Ultimate NBA Mock Draft your second listen today. Once again, my name is Ben Kaspik. Check me out on Twitter, at Ben Kaspik, K-A-S-P-I-C-K. This is actually a rare situation where tomorrow we're going to continue to dip into these mailbag questions. We have a lot of other great ones, so I hope you come back for that. And the Giants are off today on Thursday, and then they'll take on the Pirates, and then we'll have reaction next week. So thanks again for listening. Stay locked on Giants.